Welcome to episode 8 of The Creative Squeeze. We have a really great chat with Jordan Goldfarb, director in Lululemon's research and development team, Whitespace. We chat about business, thinking, wellness, and how to enter a difficult job market. Maybe just start with uh, an introduction about yourself, where you are right now, and um, sure, we'll get into yeah, no, that, that's true. Um, so well, I'll start. I'll start with the title. It sounds very sort of fancy and interesting, and and while while some while sometimes it is certainly interesting, maybe not fancy. Uh, White space is just you know the brand name, so to speak, for uh, Lou Lemon's research and development and product innovation team, and so I'm. I'm in the leadership group of that team, and um, it's been a, a really terrific ride on that thus far. Uh, and then on BC, yeah, you mentioned so Canadian uh, born, um, and I spent you know the first 18 years of my life uh, in Ontario where I grew up. But yeah, now certainly I I, I used to call British Columbia home, and then I did a, a few different stints in the U.S., which maybe we'll touch on. But now I'm my wife and I are firmly back in BC, which, um, and hopefully for the long haul. So it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's been exciting as well. Awesome. Yeah, no, not a bad place to be at, not a bad place to be staying put right now. So. Yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, um, yeah, no, uh, agreed. Not a bad place. And, you know, like I'm sure for other folks who listen to this, like seems everyone right now in every place has its own unique challenges that we're all in some way going through together. But, um, you know, I'm hopeful. But um, better days are, are here before too long. So, absolutely. Yeah, right. I think, yeah, thinking about the just the nature of where you are as well. Like, people are getting outdoors so much more right now. And obviously, for a brand like Lulu, although there is a lot of sort of demise and tragedy that comes with a time like this, there is a lot of there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I mean, from my perspective, even being Atlanta, the amount of people who are getting outdoors and really taking advantage of that is astronomical. Yeah, I think so. Right. And it's like, it's funny. I I'd thought about that um, a lot lately. I mean, I, I've, I've made it a point to spend lots of time outdoors before all this sort of occurred, but um, it makes you realize sort of when, when even, even sort of anecdotally it's taken away from you, you know, or restricted yeah. that, that just that notion that leaving your house or going outside is somewhat at risk now or putting others at risk makes you realize like how precious that can be. And yet mm -hmm. the thing that I wrestle with as well is like how well uh, the outdoors or nature seems to be thriving when yeah. you lock all, when you lock all <laughs> the people away. Yeah. So that that's been an interesting notion to, to think about. I mean, we can kind of pivot into like, uh, I guess what you do now and what you've been doing in sure. your career for the past little bit. I think we were talking before the podcast, it's, it's an interesting career path that I think not many people look towards when they're first in college, like R and D. Yeah, um, and that's right. It's yeah, it's interesting. I would love to know your take on like what made you gravitate towards innovation as a career yeah. path in a way. Yeah, no, that's a that's a um, that's well said. And I, I guess the the my knee jerk reaction is that like probably most people are innovative um, and most, you know, most professions are, but yeah, you're right. Like that in the title, it's kind of like most kids don't 
grow up and dream <laughs> yeah. to be like a businessman, you know, yeah. or a businesswoman. Like you want to be probably simpler and more straightforward things or potentially more impactful things like a, a fireman or a, you know, a doctor. I think for a while I was just trying to put off having to make that decision, but knowing that like finding um, and ensuring that I was learning transferable things or taking taking courses or studying things that would be useful in some fashion, I think is the word is where I started. So, you know, as a, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier, like I, I grew up in Canada. I did my undergraduate there at McMaster University in Hamilton. And then I had this sort of pull or urge to largely it was it was ge- geographically based. I wanted to just go west, dreamed of like, what the West Coast would be of that lifestyle of being closer to the ocean and learning to surf and all of these things that now are a big part of my life, but back then were just literally a, a dream. Uh, so that was it. that that really intrigues me because I love Canada, I love BC, I love you know going skiing and then biking in the summer. So even being surrounded by that, there was still that pull of like wanting to see something else and explore new things. Yeah, there was, and maybe that's like. You know, maybe that's where ending up in innovation or those kind of career paths happen. But it, it was like, so I decided to take a risk, move um, through school, through my MBA. And I went to, uh, you know, um, a small private school in Salem, Oregon, called Willamette University. Initially, it's like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to do more school. It was, in, you know, ironically, we were talking earlier. It's like the world was falling apart for a different reason when I graduated <laughs> undergrad. Right. It was the yeah. financial crisis. And um, right. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to try to buy some more time, learn some more things, go go to school a little longer. And and then it was it was my realization that I wanted to combine um seemingly different subject matters in like my passion for the environment and ecology and and like biology with with the sort of ingenuity and progress that comes in business and those things together it where i'm like you know i'd love to chart a um an innovative path or a career focused on combining those subject matters. I think that's where you find basically innovation. I hate using that word over and over and over, but um, I mean, there's a great book, the Medici effect. It talks about that and how Mm. finding these intersections between the most random things will Mm. actually probably bring about the most genuinely original ideas. I agree. That is a great book, by the way. So I'm glad you think that, Um, but yes. And in that, it's like I, I realized that my role in in teams, which you know, to finish that, this is a long-winded way of answering your question, but um, was that I I love finding the patterns, the commonalities in seemingly uncommon uh, subject matters. I'm I'm a firm believer that innovation and R and D has common principles no matter what you're innovating in or where you're doing it or in what industry and if you can figure out that those patterns and stuff then you can be quite useful to the specialists there's this um i think it was maybe steve jobs or i'm not sure i probably saw in a movie or something but like (laughs) you know they they figured like in in really high functioning teams or r&d teams you have like you know, you have specialists, like really deep expertise in certain things, right? And they would they would like that to an orchestra. But you also, every orchestra needs a conductor, you know? And so I always like to think of my role in this as like, 
I'm going to go in innovation. I'm going to try to be the conductor that plays the orchestra because I was never the best at any of the instruments. So right. When I think there's, I mean, there's a wonderful debate on whether speci- being a specialist or a generalist is the way to go. And I think you proved it right there. Is it, it's really dependent on the person because it depends on your personality. Um, and I, I love so, yeah. creating a skill set. I mean, that's basically what you were doing and what we're all doing is creating a set yeah. of skills that reflect yeah. our personality. I would just really be interested to know along this path, and obviously it was the the education systems that you were in, it was this and the subject matter that you were studying was in a way quite formal and and we can see quite a clear pattern through your career path, which is uh sports and athletics. And that's clearly something that you are into and so did you grow up playing sports what impact did that have on your life and did you always want to be at brands that are in that realm (laughs) yeah it's good if I'm if I'm super honest uh no I think I'm so I grew up always grew up playing sports yeah I am it's actually probably like now in this um I've always been in sports I was never awesome at them and in the last um certainly now my the sports i love or the pursuits are more solo in nature and closer tied to to nature itself Mm -hmm. uh so like you know surfing or being on the water in different ways or or you know i love i love trying like snowboarding when i get a chance to be by the mountains um but but yeah i would say like brands what I've what I'm fascinated with in I and I truly believe is just the the benefits of trying to live well and live healthy and not not add years to your life, but as we say, like try to add life to the years that you have. <laughs> um and and so I and I believe that that is a noble pursuit to try to help enable in others. And so yeah, maybe it's that the brands, you know, in some ways like through outfitting or apparel or goods like if you could encourage a lifestyle and there's obviously a dark side to the industry i'm not blind to that either but um there's yeah i believe there's something positive in that. yeah and maybe maybe that's the umbrella that kind of fits over the sports is that is wellness i think so yeah and uh, you know i think wellness is another terribly butchered and overused word yeah <laughs> it's like innovation because i'm you know and, and it's like wellness the the mission that sort of me and Lululemon are at to do is to try to help people navigate through, frankly, a lot of the, the just nonsense in wellness, because there is a lot of good in there, too. But there's a lot of sort of um, charlatanism, yeah. if, <laughs> if I can use that word. And and I think um, just take the pill. Live, but yeah, but living. <laughs> yeah, right. Or like, you know, say these magic words but like uh, li- living well is kind of yeah the the ultimate goal and then and then and then thinking about not just the not just how to thrive as an individual but how to help your sort of small you know microcosm or community thrive is even more of a noble pursuit i would say yeah i think it's uh you brought up an interesting point about the wellness topic because i think there are a lot of the slightly bigger corporations that can quite easily jump on the bandwagon of wellness and you do have to question, are they in it for the right reasons? Um, obviously, those brands that are already in that sort of genre, um, they do it really well. But I mean, we first met, actually, Jordan, in Singapore, and we were at a global wellness summit yeah, event for three days. Right. So like you, the, the rise of this sort of um, sector 
is asked like crazy. The the amount of people that were there, the yeah. money that was in the rooms that we were in, you do have to look around and you know question it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, I remember that fondly. And you know, that was actually um, it would it had been a long time since before that point since I had been back to Singapore. So it was great to be in that that amazing city. Boy, that seems like a lifetime ago now, doesn't it, man? No, but um. <laughs> But I would say, like, yeah, my, my impressions of that conference and, you know, when they were talking about the size of the global wellness market, right? We're talking like trillions of dollars of economic opportunity. And it, it makes you realize the extent that which, you know, at its core, humans are seeking some form of, of reprieve or, or opportunities to be well, which I believe is is true. And yet, yeah, my impression were just frankly there were times where I sat in my chair in that conference listening to the speakers and feeling very motivated, very sort of with them around what they were trying to do, the, the, the facts and, and evidence in which they mm. were basing their point of view on. And, and then I would say contrary or converse to that, there were probably equal times where I was like, this is just, this is just wrong or sort of, yeah. <laughs> dare I say like criminal because of like, what I find too many people or organizations are doing is using the the very global stage of talking about human well-being for their own gains without any sort of substantiated claim that what they're saying is actually right. And that's not to say that every, you know that that my certainly my own personal beliefs or anything are right. But what we what we what I strive to do uh, certainly as as my job and as part of the organization that I'm with is is to make sure that what we put forth is is of the utmost rigor because yeah. like nothing less in especially when you're talking about someone's well being is acceptable to me. Yeah, and we you touched on it the other day when we had a chat, and one thing that White Space really strives for, which I love, you kind of lead with this a lot of the time whenever I've spoken to you about it, is like you guys make decisions based off science. You don't make a decision and then find the science for it. And I think that's the key yeah. is the people that I resonated most at that event were the genuine scientists who had like doctorates and like in their name of like they do this for their job and then they come up with a great idea you know and there were other people who clearly didn't have that but were making you know a really great cbd product that you could apply to your skin <laughs> and then but their background wasn't in that you know and yeah the science yeah. is so critical in this world nowadays I agree. And I think, you know, by no means, and I don't have one, do you need to have a PhD in any subject to make a really positive impact? But you do, like, to that point, is like, we're all now more than ever, you know, and this is maybe my personal soapbox, but I believe it to be true. Like, we, we're, we are living in this very, I mean, objectively interesting, but maybe equally objectively dangerous time where, you know, facts and, and feelings, I'll say, are, are convoluted, right? It's like you, you have with the, with, with any, with the ability for sort of seemingly any person with an internet connection to be an author, it, it's, um, it allows us to have like instantaneous access to a wide array of viewpoints, which is fantastic, but it, it equally makes it harder for the average person to discern like what is real and what is true. And so, I take that responsibility in terms of working with a global brand like Lululemon quite seriously because 
people look to us and give us their very sort of hard-earned money for for the quality of the products we make, but also for the promise of what we're delivering behind those products. Yeah, and there's a lot of weight on you guys' shoulders, and to back it up with the science is critical. We were, um, I was looking on Lululemon just the other day, actually, and what I love about the site is this like drive of community. Like that's yeah. so huge, yeah, yeah. guys. And you, you know, you do see brands who, again, like they can easily jump on the bandwagon of, you know, we're here to create community, and uh, you know, we live for it. But you guys are actually doing it. Like there is, it's on paper that you can see that this brand is really creating this like hub of people. And there was a little short video of a, it was a guy who would come into yoga. I'm sure you've seen it on one of the pages and just this very real story about why this guy had started yoga and what it meant to him. And there wasn't any of this pollution of what you expect, the stereotype of someone who does yoga, you know, this was such a genuine story and the community was so great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, People, you know, what I've realized and what some people who, who are more familiar with the brand say is like, Lululemon is actually a connection company. We just also happen to sell clothes as a front, you know, to like pay the bills for now. Yeah, I, I, I think you're spot on. You know, what we, like many other brands, right, who had to quickly innovate during um, during the COVID times, we, you know, there's now on our website the ability to do a lot of our, you know, community-based classes or on, you know, digital free digital content that comes from our ambassador network, which is a really sort of mainstay and critical piece of how we drive community. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, you know, the, I'm that that whole notion of community and connection is one of the things that that myself and the team at work, but even just me as an individual, I'm super fascinated about how that's going to land after all of this. As I'm sure you guys are as well, you know, like I'm already seeing people like, you know, my colleague and I the other day were saying like, one of the nice things is like people are actually, you know, starting to talk to their neighbors again, you know? (laughs) And like, there are things that I hope we continue. So. Yeah, it's such a great point. Like it has, in a sense, people have realized how important other people are in their lives. Yeah. And we've talked about it before about how like, I mean, Jordan, you even mentioned earlier, like the internet and technology allows us to communicate on a global scale and share ideas in that way. But we forget that what's most important is our local community and, and, the, and the people you see on an everyday basis. But it's an interesting point. I like, the, like going, going a little bit back to um, like the power of empowerment and how brands used to showcase a hero for people to look up to. And now the tables have kind of turned. I think Lulu does this a a great deal is making the customer the hero in their own story. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said as well. I think the notion of heroes or like brands using hero worship. I mean, you know, my previous employer Nike does that kind of invented the playbook for, (laughs) Yeah, sports marketing and and how we turn they turned athletes like you know I mean everyone now is going bonkers for the last dance you know docu series right on Netflix but like yeah. folks like like Michael Jordan or those and how how yeah that really they were you know global heroes there's no other yeah. way to say it but but what I I guess maybe what drew me to Lululemon or or this new you know as you put it this new wave of uh, of of 
heroes or how brands are positioning themselves is like, per, I think this notion of performance and winning uh, is is changing, you know. And and like what I always like to say is that maybe what's more important is like being being again in the human progress business than the human performance business. Mm-mm. And if that and if that's true, then the notion of like who we look up to and who our heroes are maybe much more um, at the very least regional in yeah. nature. I think there's, there's a reason why now people find micro influencers or people that, that seem at least within arm's reach so relatable. And yet these people's message and what they're, what they're preaching, so to speak is, is just as impactful as, uh, as some of the more traditional, you know, people we would put on a pedestal i i definitely think that that is a that is a, a valid point and i one one future that i think wouldn't be crazy to to assume would would come true is that that people revert back to this this um sense of neighborhood right or at the very or at the very least realize that if we're forced to have our circles our social circles sort of constricted you know, uh, due to helping reduce the spread of the virus, then all of a sudden there's this renewed notion of, whoa, have I have I really experienced even my own city or country or state or province, let let alone this whole big, you know, fucking world that we have out there, right? Mm-hmm. Excuse my language, but yeah. we can add that <laughs> no, no, too. If you want. Good. Okay. Yeah, you did touch briefly that you'd, um, obviously we kind of glossed over it a little bit, but I'd love to back channel ever so slightly to Nike. And I know we can't talk about certain stuff, but what were your biggest takeaways from working at such a big company? We had a, you know, we had Dinesh on a few weeks ago who worked at Apple. He got there at 23 and it was such an incredible opportunity uh, for someone who's earlier on in their career. But he he got to that stage where he was kind of just like, I've not moved in two years. And, you know, you're a very small fish in a big pond at those places. Those royalty brands are so inspirational yeah. as students and then maybe yeah. you get there and you're like the reality well no now i'm a part of the institution that has to stay this way because that's what success totally. is. it doesn't allow you to go move forward yeah i mean i experienced all all of those things you know the 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 advice that i would give is and again in this theme of you know making sure you have breadth or um i'll give another book recommendation um I I love the book Range, you know, because I think maybe it was a bit self-serving because I like to think that the idea of having the right amount of transferable skills in range is like a way to celebrate being a generalist without feeling bad that you're not the best at anything. Yes. <laughs> um, I I went into consulting, right, which, which I always look back at like sort of a oh, man, but that's just what, something you do to pay your dues um, before I, I went to Nike full time. And what I would what I would recommend for young people, you know, starting their career is don't if you can avoid it. I would say there's a lot of merit and benefit and don't specialize too quick to your point. While I was in these very big, large consulting professional services firms like a Deloitte, for example, it's like I got to experience um, at quite a young age with relatively little experience um, career wise breadth of industries problems and stuff and that's where i mentioned earlier you start to recognize these patterns so my experiences in nike by the time i got there um 
were great and that I was I was very fortunate to work in some amazing innovation teams across their advanced innovation network and and kind of have a, a good amount of influence with what I would call key decision makers but but yes were there times where I still realized the sheer size of Nike <laughs> of, of course and and what I can say about Nike is that it is in a lot of ways as impressive as it seems from those who are on the outside. Like it, it truly is a world-class brand. And I, and I have nothing but, you know, respect and awe and appreciation as I think about it from my time that I spent with with Nike and, and in Oregon. Because they're not, it's not something, you don't become Nike by accident, yeah. you know? And that's... um. That is something that anyone who worked there for any length of time, I think, would would echo. You don't. You just they they really are the best in the world at what their what you know what their unique special sauces are. Um, and 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 yeah, and and so I think like, but to say that you know that the the allure of going to a Lululemon, besides the things that I spoke about before, or just yeah, like. I'm not going to lie or bullshit you to think that, you know, when you can, when you can be a quote unquote bigger fish and it's still big, but relatively smaller pond, you know, yeah. um, that's, that's, that's something that I was, was really attractive to me, <laughs> you know, because I felt that I had a, a, a voice or an important contribution to try to make to an organization that when you're an organization like Nike, it's just harder to do or, or it takes longer. And maybe, maybe at the end of the day, I just didn't have that kind of patience. I think you brought up a really great point at the start of that, which was this idea of, especially for guys like me and Chris and anyone who's in this strange time of graduating college, yeah. be careful not to narrow yourself in too soon. You know, I, I had that issue with my undergrad of pursuing something that I was interested in and I did enjoy, but I, I know I mentioned it to you when we were in Singapore, I was like, you know, this, okay, so advertising and branding is my undergrad, but I'm concentrating in copywriting. And, you know, I said to you when we were over there, I was like, you know, I do love it, but like I worked on this project and the conception of it, the ideation, I saw it through from inception to the final product. And I love all of that stuff, you know? And so don't let yourself go down this like no blinkers, like channel of this is what I have to do now. Cause it, it, it can really swallow you up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, it's, it's so funny. I don't know, maybe I'm just not educated enough on the topic, but you know, I do from what I read, right. There does seem to be this really healthy debate around like, should you specialize or shouldn't you, you know, and the merits and maybe it's industry dependent, maybe it's even sub industry or specific job type dependent. Um, I'm not sure. Well, I think, I, all I can speak of is from my experiences. Yeah, sorry, Chris, go ahead. Yeah, I'll just mention really quickly. It, there's an interesting principle. I think it's called the halo effect. Um, and this is like a big point for people who support specialization is that um, the halo effect is, it means that so if, if I'm the top doctor in this one specific thing, then they think that you're good at everything else. Um, which oh, is yeah. an interesting point because I, I like being more of a journalist because I find more satisfaction in that. But I think maybe the takeaway is that you can be a generalist, but you know when you're going to show your portfolio or show your resume, show the thing that you're the best at. And yeah. then 
you can fit in everything else once you get the job or once you get the opportunity and show that you're even an even wider breadth and range than what they previously thought. Yeah. I think that's probably right. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. If my teams that I work with at Lululemon, if we were all like me, I'm not sure we'd get anything actually done. <laughs> or, or if we did, if we got it done, it would be general. <laughs> so, so I think like, you know, ultimately specialists are those like really sharp swords or what you need to, to get to like do something exceptional. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Like, so what I would suggest is, you know, there's so much um, for employers, right? Or or recruiters, like there's so much, frank, just object, like even sheer numbers, competition out there for for very relatively very few jobs. And so, people, I think if you can if you can help me understand what immediate impact you could help drive or enhance or enrich then i'll i'll i i can then understand and probably assume to your point chris that you're also going to be really quite useful in sort of the broad swath right, of what i right. need as well yeah so i think that's true because you could have the, you could have maybe two three amazing pieces but then you that fourth piece is just not good and that ruins all the others because they're like well if if he was willing to put this in there. They're going to remember. Yeah. How, how do I know he's not going to drop the ball later on or something? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And I, yeah, I'd love I, to know your, your take on the polar opposite of that question is like, I've, I'm having this issue as, as a, a almost graduate is that I love being a generalist frustrates me because now I don't know what to, what, to, what to, you know, what do I go apply as? And, and, and it's like the opposite yeah, now is like, I know. because I like being a generalist, what do I do? It's holding like, you back a little. I have to Listen, at some point just the hardest, to something. I yeah, I have the same problem. It's the hardest resume in the world to write in some ways because like <laughs> there's there how many jobs do you come across where it's like we need senior generalist. It just <laughs> you know it's like that's not really a thing. And yet when you when you find and you'll find that when you get into whatever landing pad you end up choosing. Uh, or chooses you, what what companies ultimately need, like I I I have found, and again, this is my own opinion, but I've I've just in my experiences has proven to be right, is that those who can in a pinch do what's needed at a relatively high level of quality are extremely valuable because because often specialization doesn't scale very well. Yeah. Right. And and companies have to think about, you know, at what rate do they allow their size of workforce, you know, burden on on SGNA expenses, et cetera, to scale based on what they're trying to do externally for their business, for the size of their business, for their reach and how they're serving their customers. So And maybe yeah. that that's where larger traits come into play, you know. You can specialize in some things, but there are other traits that you should try and build into your skill set, like communication and maybe even some leadership yeah. skills and stuff like that. Because yeah, we, that's when it's going to value the most. We spoke to a guest again. We had a really great chat with Dinesh a few weeks back. And there was this notion of being like this, this Swiss army knife in terms of yeah. your knowledge. And really like, like you said, you know, if, if you go in as someone who's a graphic designer and then they're like, Oh shit, we need a really dope photographer for this shoot. And you can be like, Hey, you know, I can, I can dabble into that. I've got some work to show that I can do that. 
then it gives the company that kind of flexibility to be like, wow, this guy can kind of morph his way into what we That's need right. him to do. Yeah. My, the short answer to that, guys, is I used to be a firm believer that the quote-unquote soft skills, as some people say, were, were bullshit. And I used to think that like that was just a fluffy thing people said when they didn't have any quote unquote hard skills that I used to in as in my younger days or when I was maybe more naive were like that's what matters. The the guys and gals with the hard skills are the ones that are important. What I have learned, although the hard skills are essential to like the technical specifications of your product, whatever that ends up being, the soft skills are even more important. For organizational success, those who understand how the the incredibly complex nature of dealing with people and teams and leadership and communication, Chris, as you're saying, like they just succeed more. You know, and I and I would I would venture to say that any sort of study of organizational leadership or you know effectiveness or who gets promoted when will will back that up because for whatever reason the notion is that the smartest person in the room technically or the biggest brain should be the one most valued but and as much as like a meritocracy I believe in fundamentally I believe in the realities that I've known is that. You need to be able to work with people effectively because organizations are just a group of people. Even touching on that trip that I had when I first met you, you know, I, I was someone who was at the start of college quite introverted and wasn't super comfortable talking in front of big crowds, you know. And then it was like, all right, get up on stage and talk in front of a thousand people who know <laughs> the subject matter as better than you'll ever know in your entire life and try and piece something together. And I felt like I kind of bricked it on stage and you always go away thinking of the negatives. But what that taught me now, the amount of knowledge and the the instances after that event that that has helped me with is incredible. Like talking in front of a crowd now, you brush it off. And those people skills, the fact that you can hold a conversation, even if you don't know exactly the specifications of what you're talking about, if you can hold yourself and look someone in the eye and listen to what they're saying, that is just as important as having something on your resume. I Yeah, I completely agree. I, there was this old consulting adage that everyone learns on their first week, which is like, hey, you're going to be thrust into a meeting with like these executives who are way, every, and it's going to be way over your head. Someone says something to you, the key is just know 50% of what you're talking about and the rest of the 50% just say it with confidence. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was always the like that. that was always the advice. And and I've learned that to be largely true. Hopefully now it's a bit more than 50/50 in terms of what I actually know, but the confidence thing cannot be overstated, I don't think. Yeah, and I think we've realized that too as we're about to get out of school is that the technical work is is what gets you through the door, but people or at least the companies that I value and I think Matt values um, care more about how you think as a person and yeah. as an individual, um, yeah. which is really cool. And I think the better way to go about it. And showing yourself as we've said it so many times, but showing yourself as a thought leader. And again, someone who's willing yeah. to start conversation. That is, it's just so key. Oh yeah. And just think you guys said it right. Like 
there's there's um sometimes what I miss, you know, and I have to check myself on or my teams is where I find getting frustrated is like where I feel we've just for whatever reason and maybe it's a good reason, but we've stopped thinking, you know, <laughs> or we've we've like we've stopped like asking, continuing to press on the why, the why we're doing this, the why we're here, the why we believe this is right. Because if we continuously make the why the most important thing, I think we'll ensure that the quality of the delivery for the customer remains high. And sometimes I just want to tell people like, guys, we're not thinking. So we should pause and just like go read a fucking book yeah. or something, <laughs> you know, like just do something to get your brain flexing the right ways again. Yeah, and find that new intersection. We had yeah. an, we had a really great talk at our college. There was a like a film festival a few months back, and we had the cast of it was like Chicago Fire and that kind of like series know. of stuff. <laughs> anyway, there was oh, one yeah. of the, the actors on there was was talking, and she dropped some like just incredible like notes of insight. And one of the stuff she one of the things that she said was like for younger generations nowadays reading a book is the only way to like think on your own in your head imagine things explore creativity you know everything nowadays is just pumped through your phone there's no time to think about what you're actually processing it's just reactive straight away and reading a book is like this thing that nowadays is just it's barely looked upon from our generation as something that's important Boys, yeah. Yeah, isn't that sad, huh? But it feels intuitively that feels right. Yeah, I think I think whoever gave that advice is um is spot on. Well, I think you can be inspired by I mean we we're getting on this point about realizing how people think and if you yeah. can express how you think other people will gravitate towards you and that's what a book is you're basically yeah. stepping into the lens of another person and seeing how they see the world how they and ex- how they express the world yeah i mean you you recommended a book to me out when we first met stealing fire Stephen kotler book which is really yeah. really interesting and they talk about like states of consciousness and i think what that book really like is kind of standing on its own a little bit in a sense now with what's going on in the world is how teams work and i mean if anyone's struggling with like <laughs> trusting partners in teams or jobs right now I, I definitely recommend a read of that book yeah i think that's right i mean him and you know and the work that Stephen Kotler and jamie wheel have done together is yeah is, is is quite interesting and certainly has been an influence on on our work for sure um you know i i think i think um well just that that word you know as i as i sort of fumble for the right <laughs> word it's like books books or any outlets now that remind us just to think yeah and 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 pause and question like to your to your point the sort of immediate just always on reactive mode that we we seem to be in far too often these days is is valuable there are there are so many things that i have noticed even you know even the last few months in the world that when you pause and think and question and just ask yourself like okay what do i actually feel about what's happening here mm-hmm. you, you you know it, you end up at a maybe um different conclusion than if you were just so totally reactive to the situation yeah and and to link it all the way back to the beginning i think that sure. that's what wellness is to question why you do something to be mindful of why you are the way you yeah. are who you might want to be in the future yeah i think that's beautifully said yeah i think i think the um 
you know, we always are searching for this elusive line between wellness and health, yeah. right? And that, like, because for us, like in Lululemon, we we have no business being a health company. We we you know what? If you need health advice, we leave that to the doctors, and you should go see a doctor. Like, and I want to make sure I'm on the record with saying that. <laughs> brand wellness and well-being and brands like lifestyle brands like lululemon we can do a lot of amazing things for you but you have a health need you should go see a health professional yeah, yeah. and um, i think those, those three pillars that you guys kind of split it and consolidate it into a perfect which is obviously mind body community if you live by those three things as a brand i, th I don't yeah. think you'll be missing the mark too much at all yeah i think that's right but like you know thinking and questioning and like like for me, wellness to loop it all the way back is the is the methodical sort of probably state of mind and then therefore set of behaviors that say, hey, like on a day to day basis, the choices I'm going to make with the even sparse amount of time I have, how can I do that to enrich mm -hmm. whatever time it is I ha I have, you know, on the on this planet of ours, like it's this idea of adding life to years like i have no tolerance for the the notion that like hey do these things or take these pills and you'll live 10 right. years longer or all these things like or you know yeah. or, or you'll like i i just think that although although at some point in time true science will make discoveries that will potentially extend life i believe that wholeheartedly but i think like for for right now well-being is about you know let's let's just um, live happier, healthier in mind, healthier in, in physicality and healthier in social relationships while we still can. Yeah, that's absolutely. And yeah. I think as we're, as we're kind of wrapping this up, I'd love to get two things really. What, how can they do that on a daily basis? You know, there is the notion of, Hey, just get out and do some exercise and there are limitations. <laughs> so meditate. to the first point, like, what do you recommend? What are you practicing? What are some good practices for people to follow? And then the second point you did mention, obviously, you graduated at a similar time in the world to us with yeah. this kind of crazy time going on. So, yeah, two pieces of advice, maybe one for the everyday person of what, what they can really implement and then for those graduates right now. For the everyday person, I would say the thing to implement is uh, a routine with a rigorous filter on simplicity. So... I found that the best wellness hacks, whether it be meditation, are often the ones that are the least sexy, that will require the some persistence and hard work. So the 10-minute abs while you're sitting at the desk eating ice cream just doesn't exist. <laughs> and the but but the ones that are simplest, where it's like, okay. I, I understand the basic equation of like effort in results out or making time and space to reduce complexity or stress. Like those still work the best. There is, you know, my advice would be that as much as we all want to, or as much as brands like ours will continue to strive through innovation, there is no escape from doing the work. So the question is, is find ways to make the effort enjoyable in your well-being practices that would be my advice and rigorously reduce the complexity because often the simplest things work the best and then for graduates i would say well one yeah on behalf of you know i guess everyone like 
just 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 hang in there this is this is this is shitty and that you know it's 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 fully fully accepted and and understood it just to say like this is shitty you know yeah um and let's just all embrace that but i would i would say like what i've always found to be true in these situations or when i was yeah when i was a graduate during the financial crisis of 2008 2009 not putting off having to make the decision of going into your job or employment, but if if there was a notion in your head that you wanted to upskill or broaden your range or do more education, the data shows, and you could go previous to 2008, that these times finding solace in more education or the right skills with an eye to how you're going to use those when we come out of this, so to speak – is a sound strategy, you know, that like, and I fully understand that some people just need to work, you know, and therefore like, you're just going to have to find a job and kind of ride this thing out. But if you're in the fortunate situation where you can potentially continue to upskill and broaden your range, especially through internships, through, you know, more education, more schooling, through unique opportunities of, of getting exposure to different things, I'd highly recommend that because this, like anything else, this too shall pass. And um, the when we come out of this, companies are going to start hiring again. The economy will start turning. Yeah, I think you answered that pretty perfect well. Point to end on, yeah, <laughs> I think that was no, thank fair. you so much, Joy. Well, I mean, this, yeah, guys, this was a this was a yeah. pleasure. It's my pleasure. Hopefully, it goes okay on the editing table. After. Hey, yeah. <laughs>